the hell does it mean to have insurance? And how do you get it? No, like, really get it. My name is Quinn Emmett, and this is important, not important. Science for people who give a shit. Hit subscribe right now to get this newsletter and my conversations with the world's smartest people every single week. You can find the email version and links to everything at importantnotimportant.com slash newsletter. It's January 27th, 2023. A quick PSA. Any is 100% independent and mostly reader-supported. The newsletter is free to all, but to support our work, connect with other shit-givers, get my tools, books, and music recommendations, and attend exclusive monthly live events, please consider becoming a paid member. Visit importantnotimportant.com slash membership to become a member today. Here's your action steps of the week. Understand your home's flood and fire risk with Risk Factor. Work for a local government? Get real-time flood forecasting with Flood Map. That's with two Ps. Wildfire season's around the corner again. Get an outdoor monitor and check the air map with Purple Air. Get ahead of COVID and more and get your town's wastewater monitored with Biobot. Over 60? Use your life experiences to organize for climate action with Third Act, and find the best green bank near you with bank.green. And now for today's topic. What the hell does it mean to have insurance? Well, there's actual insurance, which is a policy where you and an insurer contract with one another in case things go south with usually your home, your car, or your body. There's other examples of actual insurance, of course, but the general agreement is you pay insurers what is sometimes a reasonable ongoing fee, and in return, they agree to indemnify you against losses, damages, or costs from adverse circumstances. Examples of those include strep throat or a basement flood, wildfires, surgery, getting T-boned, and not in the fun way, theft, chemo, surgery, or death. So that's the layman's technical explanation, but more colloquially, or for our purposes today, insurance can mean just having a buffer or a backup plan, or a thing you might do to make sure a big decision, like buying a home or having a child or just generally being a person, doesn't go to hell in a handbasket. I want to be super duper clear. Being born white is about the best insurance you can possibly get. But you didn't choose to be born white, and the people who were born with another skin color didn't get to choose that either. Moving on. So, for example, not spending your entire paycheck every month is a way of having insurance, a buffer, or a backup plan, if you can afford to do that. Building a savings account, or allocating a healthy chunk of your portfolio in cash and commodities in, for example, a time of inflation, war, and climate impacts, is another. But so is eating healthy, getting vaccines, getting some cardio every day, doing strength work as you age to protect against bone density loss. Again, if these things are available to you. In the former case, you're saying, I'm happy to compound a little less money, so when shit hits the fan, I don't lose all of my money. In the latter cases, you're not paying an insurance company per se, but instead trading your processed food for some legumes and trading your finite time right now for hopefully more time later. All of these decisions are usually a result of understanding that just by being alive, you're really putting yourself out there. So while you believe in your choices and the odds of actual calamity are usually reasonable, the costs of calamity can be devastating. My friends, we are in a time of calamity. It's time to get some insurance. Let's talk about the world at large. Procuring insurance requires some sacrifice and long-term thinking. It's doing your future society or company or self 
a favor, something I talk to my 10-year-old about every single day. The insurance considerations on a societal level are not so different than ones for yourself. Three years into a pandemic we more or less mishandled, and decades into a climate crisis the instigators not only knew about, but predicted and then lied about, a society should, at the base level, insure itself against a devastating blow by building a baseline of readiness across all people, systems, and institutions. It helps to first establish a desired, clear societal outcome. For example, where everyone has clean air inside and outside, clean water, access to healthy, affordable food, affordable housing, annual comprehensive health checkups, access to affordable childcare, paid leave, any one of these, much less combining them, not only improves life for all people on a day-to-day -day level, but raises the odds that when, say, a pandemic strikes or a massive drought or rolling blackouts, that the citizenry and economy has a buffer or a cushion to fall back on. It means GDP, if we're still going to keep using that as a measuring stick, is better on a quarterly basis as people are more secure and healthy can go to work. Or not go to work if they're sick and thus not expose coworkers or to stay home and take care of a sick kid, who's probably less likely to get sick anyways because her overall circumstances are healthier. That's a form of insurance. But a society can and should also purposefully defend against specific holy shit crises, like building supercomputers to predict weather and storms that will inevitably come, or deploying networks of sensors to predict floods and earthquakes, and wastewater monitoring to understand viral loads on good days and bad days. It means guaranteeing a novel coronavirus doesn't mutate beyond our ability to control it by vaccinating everyone we can find and as quickly as we can, however much it costs right now, because then we can never talk about this again. Having insurance means keeping way better track of methane leaks and forever chemicals and non-renewable phosphorus, among others. To be clear, it would be not great to run out of phosphorus. It also means regulating institutional investors and markets so they can't drive further emissions from new fossil fuel projects and don't expose themselves and retail investors to stranded assets and climate impacts on those stranded assets. It means requiring our biggest banks to describe in detail how climate change scenarios like hurricanes would impact their loans and bottom lines and disallowing them from purchasing bullshit carbon offsets. It means understanding that insurance providers and even reinsurance providers are going to have to raise rates and exit some markets because they simply can't fulfill every policy and their bottom lines are under threat too. Every time a disaster hits, we see insurance companies go out of business, unable to pay the bills. So it means funding and modernizing disaster relief agencies and partnerships, slowing global heating by reducing emissions, regulating AI content bonds, and yes, building real-time data sets that help us understand where we can continue to live and build anew, who to insure among the people that live there, and where we need to back off entirely. What it means is in a time of emergency, society bends, but does not break. Let's talk about what insurance means at work. A company's considerations are slightly different, and they go well beyond professional liability insurance, property insurance, workers' comp. You should and have to have all that stuff. Building a more inclusive workforce means your company is less likely to default to business practices, products, service, and algorithms that exclude the historically marginalized, or worse, just damage them further. That's a form of insurance. Providing your workforce with competitive wages, reasonable hours, family leave, paid leave, legit health insurance, work-from-home opportunities and funding, continuing education, meaningful stock options, and progressive retirement options that aren't exposed to, again, 
stranded fossil fuel assets will make it more likely they'll not only stick around, but work hard for you because they feel safe and taken care of. Operating your company under a strict but expansive and transparent ethical mandate means you are slow to hire and quick to fire, attracting workers, projects, and profits that not only grow, but are grounded in your mission, no questions asked. So in the long term, your impact and reputation compound, and in the short term, you're less likely to hire some moron vice president who will nearly immediately quote tweet a neo-Nazi and crush that hard-earned reputation, morale, and bottom line. What else? Working with ethical manufacturers, suppliers, distributors for food or textiles or anything else doesn't just mean a better product, and again, an improved reputation, but a healthier, more reliable supply chain. Hey everyone, it's Quinn, your host and the founder of Important Not Important. I'd like to take a quick minute to tell you about the INI or any, whatever we're calling it these days, membership and community. It's a gathering place, really, for our most dedicated shit givers. A place to connect and learn from one another and to have access to me outside of the newsletter and this podcast. We started it last year and it's grown to hundreds of shit givers from all kinds, from around the globe. I'm talking about teachers and investors, students, electricians, journalists, artists, scientists, and policymakers, and, and more. Members get exclusive access to our daily news homepage, which is very cool, and to much more top-of-mind weekly articles, research, and tools that you can use and to stay ahead of the game, member-sourced action steps, twice-monthly book and culture recommendations that have nothing to do with the end of the world, virtual events, and of course, the membership Slack channel. Look, so many people come to us asking, what can I do? And we think we do a pretty good job of answering that question and providing context for the answer. But the best answers and the best perspective really come from the community, a wide-ranging community. And we would love for you to be a part of it, to feel supported yourself, and to contribute to discussions and actions alike. And of course, by becoming a member, you're directly supporting our work here and ensuring that we get to keep doing it. So if you'd like to learn more, head to importantnotimportant.com. And if you're already a reader, you can just hit the upgrade button at the top. If you're not, go ahead and subscribe for free and you'll see the option to become a member at whatever level works best for you. And as always, you can always find the link to become a member right in your show notes. So thanks for listening. And as always, thanks for giving a shit. Back to the show. You should absolutely still insure against accidents and losses and all that stuff. But raising the baseline reduces the odds you'll need to call in that policy. Or that your supply chain will break down when, again, these are just hypothetical examples, a pandemic hits and you own a bunch of meatpacking factories and all of your workers fucking die. Similarly, building foundational zero-trust cybersecurity policies at your company or college or your water pipes and pairing them with admittedly not cheap insurance policies can reduce, not eliminate, exposure to data leaks, hacks, and ransom. In a normal operating environment, you can project your costs, and to a lesser extent, you know, your revenues, and hopefully one of those is higher than the other. But when shit hits the fan, and it will, it helps if your company's already resilient, not just able to ride the storm, but to meaningly contribute to local or society-wide recovery efforts through 
your inherent expertise or volunteer hours. Let's talk about what insurance means at home. If you own your home and you live there, it's considered your primary residence. That's what they call it. So you're going to need to insure. I mean, you have to. And it's the same with wherever you're renting, usually. So if you own your primary residence, it might not necessarily be a part of your investment portfolio, technically. But if, again, if you own it, it's an asset and, and probably your biggest. So it's a significant piece of your net worth calculation. But it's also your home. That's where you raise and shelter your family or play your video games by yourself, whatever. It's a major source of peace of mind. Understanding where your home is located and what it's exposed to should be a fundamental step in deciding whether or not to buy, rent, or sell it. While we're still early in the insurance data revolution, there's more options available every day to understand whether or not that apartment or house is up to code, retrofitted against earthquakes, likely to flood on sunny days or stormy ones, or be in the path of a fire. In most cases, mortgage writers require you to have a policy before you close, so you might as well get the best one you can afford. Because while we generally have an idea of what's coming, there's a lot we don't know. But before you put down an offer, there's a bit more you can do to understand your exposures. And there's more tools than ever for insurers, too. I mean, every week there's more news. But understand it's early. It's very early. Policy hasn't quite caught up to the data yet and to the impacts. How early? 98% of Californians do not have flood insurance. Meanwhile, 32 trillion gallons of rain and snow fell on California since Christmas. Federal flood maps and land use guidelines have been updated since the 1970s. Insurers were disallowed from using catastrophic fire projections until recently when things have been catastrophic. Almost 5 billion in federal grants, disaster loans, and flood insurance payments have been provided to the state of Florida and households in Florida alone since Hurricane Ian. And last year, payouts from damages worldwide exceeded $120 billion. That's in one year. So who gets to measure these risks? Who gets to set the rates and who can afford them are questions our society doesn't usually deal very equitably in. So electing people to every level of office who actually live in these places who understand these risks, and who seek to buttress our most exposed neighbors, usually, again, the most marginalized, is a key tenet of how we improve baselines on the daily and build resilience for the hardest days and nights. Again, that's just, that's insurance. So donate to and campaign and vote for those folks, right? No action in isolation. But also get the best policy you can. Make sure it covers water. I've made that mistake. Know that shit happens and will increasingly happen wherever you are. Get sensors to notify you about floods from pipes or storms. Have a fire evacuation plan that includes walking away from it all. Practice it with your neighbors and your family. Buy the highest rated air filters you can afford. Change them every month. Build a home emergency kit that fits your exposures. To be clear, earthquake kits and hurricane kits are going to be very different. Now let's talk about you. Forget the apps and the keto and the sleep scores. Taking care of yourself on a day-to-day -day basis isn't that goddamn hard. If you're physically able, can afford the time and the money. If you can, eat mostly plants and very little sugar, stopping three hours before you go to bed, which should be seven to eight hours before you have to wake up. Get some cardio and strength training a few times a week, and as you walk, bike, or if it's available to you, take public transportation to work, call a dear friend. Definitely try not to sit all day. Take a walk after lunch, either through nature or, again, with a close friend, and do yourself a favor. 
Don't compare your success to hers. Ask instead, how can I help? Turn off most of your goddamn notifications. Lock your phone in a box when you're with your kids or other loved ones, and dock it outside your bedroom at night, which should be cold and dark. Practice a little gratitude at night, and meditate a little bit in the morning as you expose yourself to some actual sunlight. Warm up your body a little bit, have a big glass of water, and you're back at it. I want to be clear. You will never, ever do all of those things in one day. You're never going to do it right, but that's expected, and that's okay. If you can do even some of it, some of the time, one, congratulations, and two, please use some of your spare time to fight for systems that'll help others do the same thing. With great power comes great responsibility, Uncle Ben, whatever, but really think about it. You have the ability to not only live your own great, meaningful life, but help others live better lives, too. You, an adult human, who sometimes chooses to subsist on Trader Joe's Panda Puffs for day at a time, can literally affect how someone else is able to live their life. That is outrageous and wonderful, and I'm fairly sure will help you live longer. As financial writer Morgan Housel wrote, money's greatest intrinsic value, and this can't be overstated, is its ability to give you control over your time. Insurance, real insurance purchased with money, can also give you peace of mind. Health purchase with money and time, can give you peace of mind. Compassion and action cost time, but compound like you wouldn't believe. Do all this stuff, and you'll have ensured your ability to live with peace of mind, with energy and compassion, and to weather sickness and injury. Which, again, to be clear, will definitely happen. Especially if there's another pandemic. There will be. Or an earthquake, or storm, or you foolishly accept your seven-year-old's challenge to race across the yard and your hamstring just separates clean from the bone. The point is, make sure you and your family have good health insurance, if you can afford it. Don't forget about dental and vision, because for some fucking reason they're never included. And don't forget a bunch of asshats in Washington and elsewhere are still constantly trying to make Obamacare go away. Vote against them. Make sure everyone at your company gets health insurance too. Everyone. If you can, spend a little time each month campaigning for your red state to take the goddamn Medicaid money already. Or for your blue state to make housing, one, affordable, and two, much more plentiful. Are you a runner or a hiker or driver? Get one of those Apple watches with the SOS sound and the crash detection. It's not for you. It's for your family. Wear a bike helmet and campaign for protected bike lanes. Protect those less capable than you by walking people to their car in the dark and campaign for better lighted streets and parking lots. Fuck it, cover them with solar panels too. Stuff to love one stocking with personal safety gear and just show up when they need help or a shoulder. Do that, and you'll probably ensure they do the same thing for you. All this is going to require change. And yeah, Atomic Habits was great, and my Duolingo streak is hanging on by a thread, so gamification works, but understand those exist because humans don't like to change. It's fucking exhausting. So given the means, I mean, be honest, we want to live where we want to live. We want to travel guilt-free. We want both fresh food all year on demand and to eat unhealthy food whenever the hell we feel like it. We want compound interest on our investments and whatever sectors printing money, ecosystems be damned. We want a job that pays as well as the guy next door. But we have to change because we fucked all that up. And change means making some real sacrifices, especially if you're in the global top 10%, much less the 1%. The great news is every fuck-up is an opportunity. We can and have to multi-solve 
to ensure our society, institutions, companies, families, and ourselves against a more volatile today and tomorrow, however much we are simultaneously working to make them better for everyone, eliminating emissions, providing universal sick leave, and guaranteeing clean air inside and outside would get us a hell of a long way towards a less chaotic world. But those require commitments we've never really made before, despite the very clear incentives to do so. The same thing goes for regulating trucks, sugar, guns, and more. Again, when we know more than we've ever known, we still don't do it. Incentives are usually everything. But truthfully, the self-awareness, the timing to say, we simply can't go on like this, to expose ourselves like this, will go a long, long way. Whether it's, you know, how we continue to allow for massive trucks and assault rifles, or how we hammer down a grande diet coke every morning just to feel alive, we have to stop. Voltaire said, I know this sounds obnoxious, but just listen with me for a second. History doesn't repeat itself. Man always does. And man, is he spot on. Self-awareness is knowing how much we can and will actually change, figuring out how to actually start doing it, and then ensuring against the rest so the future is better than the past. The thing is, though, we have to do it together. That's literally how insurance works. We all pay something every month. So when a small percentage of us is inevitably kicked in the nuts, insurers can pay out the big bucks to put them back on their feet or just give them new feet, depending on what happened. Because remember, it's not about how many times you or I or all of us get knocked down. It's about getting back up again. And that's pretty goddamn hard without someone to help you up. That is insurance. Finally, here's your news roundup. In health and medicine news, the number one concern for parents? Kids' mental health. A teen's leukemia went into remission after an experimental gene-editing therapy. An ALS patient set a record for communicating via brain implant. Medicaid continuous enrollment is ending, which is not great. In climate news, $1.1 trillion was invested in climate tech of all kinds last year. And that is the new floor, folks. That's where we start. The UK will offer £600 million to industry to switch to green steel. One-third of the Amazon is degraded, and Lula's just started fighting back. Boy, the job in front of that guy. In food and water news, the FDA unveiled limits for lead in baby food, which is, feels like something we should have done before. The same week, the top food safety official publicly resigned because the FDA is a nightmare. Minnesota is one step closer to requiring 100% clean electricity by 2040. And in beep boot news, you're never going to guess who's the world's biggest face recognition dealer. It's China. And the black cat ransomware attack showed how vulnerable health records are, and you shouldn't have cats. Finally, apparently Xbox is woke now. In COVID news, two new studies suggested the bivalent COVID vaccines are more effective against severe illness than the previous ones. All I'm asking is that you, you, you go get them. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening, and thank you for giving a shit.